0: Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians one seven. God presented Christ. As a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood, Romans three twenty five. Well, we had to turn that video off halfway through it, and I'll tell you why near the end of the message. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Hashtag Jesus, and it's based on the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Would you open God's Word John, chapter 1, verse 29. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. I've got a question for you. When I say the word substitute, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Teacher. <laughs> I thought that would be the case. Substitute teacher. How many remember having a substitute teacher? How many were mean to the substitute teacher? <laughs> I looked at the word substitute in Webster's Dictionary and it says person or thing that takes the place of someone or something else. A person or thing that takes the place of someone or something else. For example, we use that word in lots of different ways. Uh, The word substitute is used in the NCAA tournaments. The the coach will substitute one player for another. He'll take the place of someone else. In recipes, we substitute one ingredient for another another. For example, margarine for butter. We substitute one thing for another. I was at Ridgecrest this week and on Friday I went looking for some sugar for my grits and I couldn't couldn't find any. Now come on now, if if, if you want it, that's what makes them good. If you put enough sugar on them, they are really, really good. I'm telling you, about four packs of sugar it's good stuff. But here's the problem. I found Splenda. I found Sweet and Low. And I found uh, whatever that other equal. Thank you. So we have substitutes, right? Something that's substituted in the place of something else. Even in math, we have substitutes or substitution in algebra. Uh, You're substituting numbers for where the letters are. It's Uh, We use that word in lots of different ways, substitution or substitute. It's interesting that when Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, why that title? As Jesus was just starting his ministry, because let me give you the time frame when he used this, this title. The Lord Jesus had been baptized about six weeks ago, gone through the 40 days of temptation and now about six weeks has passed since his baptism and as he walks into town, John sees him walking towards him and this was the beginning of his ministry and John announces to everyone John chapter 1 verse 29 you can read it or follow along, John announces to everyone, look the Lamb of God that takes away sin of the world now why that title? I think John was indicating that Jesus had come to be our substitute. Our substitute. The title Lamb of God probably was associated in the minds of the Jews in two different ways when they heard it. When those words were ringing in their ears, it probably brought to mind two different things. First of all, it probably brought to mind the Passover Lamb. You see, in Exodus 12, the Passover commemorated the final plague on Egypt when the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the Israelites were spared because of the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorpost. The angel of the Lord would pass over and not destroy the occupants of the houses that were under the sign of the blood. Now here's something interesting that you need to know. The Passover lamb was originally not about sin. The Passover lamb originally was not about sin. It was about substitution. One life taken to spare another. Jesus did that for us. His life was substituted for us on the cross. One life given to spare all of us. In fact, if you're reading in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 one day, you'll see that the Apostle Paul wrote these words, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. One life sacrificed To spare another. So, when the people in John's day, the Jews in John's day, heard that look, the Lamb of God, they probably thought of the Passover lamb, but they also probably thought about just the daily sacrifices that they saw. You see, the people of Israel were very familiar with lambs being used as sacrifices, and not occasionally, but on a daily basis. Listen to Exodus chapter 29, verse 38 and 39. This is what you're to offer on the altar regularly. Each day, two lambs, a year old, offer one in the morning and one at twilight. For as long as the temple stood, get this in your mind. For as long as the temple stood, every morning and every evening, a lamb was sacrificed at the temple for the sins of the people. You might be interested to know that when Jesus died on the cross... And he cried out, it is finished. It was the time of the evening sacrifice for the lamb at the altar of the temple. John pointed to Jesus as the substitutionary sacrifice for everyone. You might ask though, but pastor, here's what I'm trying to understand. How was Jesus our substitute? I mean, I understand what you read, I understand what you're talking about, but practically speaking, how was Jesus our substitute? Look in John chapter 129. I want you to notice a phrase. John 129. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That phrase, takes away, can also be translated, takes up. Jesus took away our sin by taking them upon himself. Isaiah prophesied about that. Would you put your finger here, John, go with me to Isaiah 53? We're going to use our Bibles a lot today. I hope you're going to be following and taking notes and writing things in the column of your Bibles. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 7. Here's what we read beginning in verse 5. Oh, by the way, before we read it, here's an interesting fact. Isaiah was prophesying about 800 years before Jesus was born. And he was prophesying before the idea or the concept of crucifixion had ever been invented. And Isaiah, under the Spirit of God, wrote these words, beginning in verse 5. But he, prophesying about one to come, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Everybody say, our transgressions. We could take the rest of the time and just work through this verse, but just want to read a couple of things to you again and ask you to note it in your Bibles. It says the punishment, verse 5, the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. He experienced what you should have experienced. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds... We are healed. Now some people mistranslate that and talk about physical healing. This is not talking about physical healing. This is talking about the greatest healing of all that is spiritual healing. Related back to God. We all, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And look at verse the end of verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. If you'll notice in verse 6, it says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Question Who laid the iniquity on him? God did. Let that sink in for a moment. And the Lord. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ladies and gentlemen, you misunderstand Calvary if you think that Jesus simply died out of sympathy for you. Jesus did not die out of sympathy for you. Jesus died as your substitute. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll see a very similar passage in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body as substitution. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. You see, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who ever lived. You've got to hear that again. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin by every person who had ever lived. He was guilty of none of them. But God treated him as if he had committed all of them. No wonder he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God treated Jesus the way he should have treated you. My ex- Jesus experienced the pain and the punishment of my sin and of your sin and of our sin. Now it's very interesting when John says to take away the sin. You see this in verse 29? Do you see an S on the end of that word? No. It does not say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not plural. Singular. He's talking about that sinful nature that we have. Not the activities that we do, but the sinful nature that we have. To take away the sinful nature that is ours. All the sins of the world are squeezed into that one word, sin. Literally means, the Greek word is harmatia, it literally means to miss the mark. It means to live in rebellion against God and miss the mark. Now, I want to help some of you get this because it's so important. And maybe if I reframe it, it'll help you to understand it a little bit better. How many of you have filled out a bracket? And if you don't know what a bracket is, then you haven't filled one out. How many of you have filled out a bracket? Raise your hand and keep it up high. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Build out a bracket. All right, how many of you, put your hands down. Now, how many of you, your bracket is still perfect? Raise your hand. There is no perfect bracket, not even one, right? We all have fallen short. We all have missed the mark when it comes to the brackets. We try our best, right? You try your best to figure out who's going to win the tournament, who's going to beat who. My bracket, I'm not going to brag, but my bracket was pretty good until North Carolina State beat Villanova. Then it just busted my bracket. Amen, I got an amen over here on my right. I had them going all the way to the final four, and now they've just tore it all all to pieces. See, we try our best to get it right. We try our best to do it right. We try our best to make it work, and then all of a sudden it still just messes up. None of us are perfect. We all miss the mark. We all live in rebellion. There is none righteous, the Bible says. Not even one. We all miss the mark of God's holiness and God's righteousness. <clears throat> last week or week before last, I forget when it was. Lisa and I went on a little road trip and we stopped at a fast food restaurant. <clears throat> Have you ever had one of those waitresses? And she's really not even a waitress. She's just standing behind the cash register. I don't know what you'd call that person. But in the fast food restaurant where you walk up to the cash register, have you ever had one of those people who just, they're just not very nice. (laughs) Have you ever had one of those? This lady, I walked, honest truth, I walked up to the cash register and she just stood there. Never said, can I help you? Never said, what would you like? She just stood there and looked at me like... I stood there for a moment, and I finally said something to her, and, and uh, I smiled, and she didn't smile back. She just stood there. I finally asked her a question about something, because I was trying to decide what I wanted, so... In my stupidity, I asked her a question about the menu. And she looked at me like she was totally... I can't even give you the look she gave me. She looked like she was totally disgusted with me. Like, what are you doing here? You are bothering me to no end. Well, we finally got our food and we went out to the car because it's friendlier out in the car than it is (laughs) at the restaurant. We finally got our food and went out to the car. My sweet wife, who never says anything bad about anybody, when we got to the car door, we hadn't said anything about this this lady. And when we finally got to the car door, my wife said, I bet she never wins the Employee of the Month award. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. She sure doesn't. (laughs) And neither do you. Because we all... We all, from time to time, live like that as if we don't care what God says, as, as if we don't care what God wants, as if we don't care what God thinks. We all live that way. The Bible calls it sin, harmatia. It, calls, it, it, it means to live in rebellion against God. You're living as if you don't care what God says. You don't care what God wants. And the Bible says we all have lived that way. So this is what's so amazing. John said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. But then he added something to that. He said, said, takes away the sin of what? Takes away the sin of the world. Now that's awful easy to say, but it's hard to comprehend if you really dwell on it. let's just just try to get it into a situation where we can understand it. how about if I said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of everyone who is in the building today that would still be quite hard to believe wouldn't it be like well, maybe her but I don't know about him I don't know he couldn't forgive him not, 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 not them But John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin not only of the people in this building and not only the people who live in South Carolina and not only the people who live in the United States and not only the people uh, who live in other countries, but he said the people of all the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that is mind-boggling. He can take away the sin of the world. But listen, listen, listen. I'm not just talking about the present. He can take away the sin of those in the past as well. He died for the sin of those in the past. Every person who had ever lived, John said, Look, the Lamb of God. He's the substitute for everybody who's ever lived in the past. But not only that, He's also the substitute for everybody who's ever going to be born. Everybody who's ever going to live. From Adam to the last person that's going to be born. John says, Look, the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin, the world. We look at that, and all we can do is marvel that he didn't just experience the pain and the punishment of my sin and your sin. He experienced the pain and the punishment of every person who has ever lived or ever will live. That's why in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we read these fascinating words Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote the book of Revelation. John, in the book of Revelation, also, again, speaks about Jesus as the Lamb. God gives him a vision of the end of the world. He gives him a vision of heaven. And in this vision, he sees Jesus as a Lamb. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been what? Slain. Isn't that interesting? I didn't tell the first crowd this, but do you know I believe that what that is indicating that even in heaven, Jesus still bears the marks of his sacrifice. I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the what? The Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. And here's what they're saying. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because... Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. And watch this. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin the world. By the way, that word slain, and you'll see it again uh, in verse 12. In a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. I want to tell you something. That word slain is a correct interpretation, but it might be a little too sanitized for us. Because it can be translated Slaughtered, And in fact, if you read it in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the Old Testament word is slaughter. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, listen to this. He says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I told you earlier that we, should, we turned off that video a little quickly. We turned it off and didn't let you see the rest of it. And the reason is this. In the rest of that little video, what you see is, besides this precious little lamb, it keeps panning to the right, and all of a sudden you see a a hand enter the picture and grabs the lamb by his neck, and you see another hand pick up a knife. And you see the knife heading towards the neck. And I had my wife watch it, and I had Chris watch it, and they both said essentially the same thing. No, (laughs) no, you better, no, no, you you probably don't want to show that and I understand that. And we try to respect that. i want to tell you something. Listen. That's nothing compared to what Jesus experienced. Isaiah 53, 7. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice that was slaughtered for my sin. And for yours. And next Sunday we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and it is a reminder that our salvation is not cheap. In order to pay the penalty of my sin, Jesus was slaughtered on the cross for you and for me. Look! The Lamb of God who takes away, because He takes it upon Himself, the sin of the world. So I want you to, I want you to understand this. We are acceptable to God, not because we've given something up, We're acceptable to God not because we've stopped doing bad things. We're we're acceptable to God not because we've obeyed Him. We're acceptable to God not because we've been baptized. We are acceptable to God when we accept Jesus Christ as our substitute who died on the cross. And that's the only way the sinful people like us can have a relationship with the sinless God. summarize it in one sentence for you. Here's the sermon in a sentence. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if He lived your life so He could treat you as if you lived His life. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if He lived your life so that He could treat you as if you lived His life. You know what that is? That's substitution. I am glad, can I get a witness? I'm glad I've got a substitute. One who stood in my place on my behalf. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Let me talk to you for a minute. I'm going to ask you not to be leaving. We'll be concluding very shortly. But I've got to ask you a question Have you ever claimed Jesus Christ as your substitute? See, the good news is that there is no one here for whom Christ did not die. To take away the sin of the world. There is no one here for whom Christ did not die. The bad news is there are some here today likely who have never accepted what he did for them. Today, we're going to give you an invitation, an opportunity for you to say, Lord Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me as my substitute. By faith, I believe you died in my place. By faith, I believe you died for my sin. By faith, I believe you experienced the pain and the punishment I deserved. I claim you as my substitute and as my Savior. The Lamb of God takes away sin of the world. So your sin is in one of two places your sin is either still on you or it's on Jesus. Where is your sin today? It's either still on you or it's on Jesus. I pray today that you'll decide. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my substitute. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that there is a Lamb of God who took our place, stood in our place, died in our place, experienced the pain and the punishment I should have experienced so that I could experience the goodness that I do not deserve. I pray, Lord, somebody here today, because of the inspiration of your word and the conviction of your Holy Spirit, I pray that today somebody would trust Jesus as their Savior. His name I pray. Amen.